read about in books. Well, she is a sweet-tempered, good-natured girl, and so very pretty that I always find great pleasure in looking at her. But I do not believe that she has more than common sense. However, since she is now lying abed with an injured head, I ought not to speak ill of her. And I confess that her eager naivety suits my taste a great deal better than Lucy Crockford's studied sensibility. All the while we were walking to Maddestone, "'It is a great pity,' said Margaret loudly, "'that Eliza is not here. "'She is a very fine needlewoman.' "'It is extremely kind of you to say so, Margaret. "'I shall be sure to pass on the compliment. "'And so very obliging. "'Why, last spring she sewed three shirts for little Frank in as many days. "'Did she indeed? How remarkable!' "'Dido resolutely continued with her letter, "'but a glance across the green bays of the parlour table "'had shown colour mounting in Margaret's broad cheeks, "'her narrow mouth tightening.' If there was not to be a state of warfare in the house, she must soon lay her pen aside. As she bent her head further over her page, she rather fancied that she felt, a prickling through her cap, not only the heat of autumn sunshine magnified by the window, but also a disapproving gaze. And yet she could not help but try for a few lines more. All the while that we were walking to Maddestone, Lucy was talking, in her slowest, most languishing tones, of the extraordinary atmosphere of melancholy which haunts the ruins, an atmosphere to which she is herself most extraordinarily sensitive. For no one, no one in the world feels these things more acutely than she does and there have been times when she has been almost overwhelmed by the extraordinary atmosphere of the ruins. So those two continued to talk of ghosts, with only an occasional digression in praise of Captain Lawrence, who, I suppose, must be considered a secondary motive for our visit to Maddestone Abbey. And, by the by, I cannot help but wonder that Lucy and Penelope should contrive to be both in love with the captain without any cooling of affection between themselves, nor can I quite determine whether it argues most for the sweetness of their natures, the weakness of their understanding, or only the insignificance of their attachment to the gentleman. The sunny silence of the room was broken by Margaret's searching noisily in the work-basket for a spool of thread. Dido began to write faster. Harriet Crockford, I noticed, scowled darkly whenever her sister talked of the captain. I do not think she has a very high opinion of him, but I could not prevail upon her to discuss this interesting topic, and while nuns and the navy were canvassed by the other two, Harriet and I were much less pleasantly engaged. It was roofleds and damp in the kitchen passage all the way with us.' Harriet informs me that there is a hole in the roof at Ashfield, which is a yard and three-quarters long and twenty-seven inches broad. It would, I am further informed, break dear Papa's heart if he could see the hole in Ashfield's roof. 
And if my memory were only a little better, I could relate to you the exact cost of the tiles and lead which will be required to repair it. Poor Harriet. There are times when she goes beyond being sensible and is downright dull. And it is very disconcerting that a woman who is more than two years my junior can seem so very old. I find myself wishing that she would not wear such a dowdy bonnet, nor such a large and unbecoming cap beneath it, and I begin to despair of her ever having an original thought. I believe she only lives to reflect the ideas of dear dead papa. But now I am getting quite off the point. It is such a very great pleasure and relief to talk to you, Eliza, that I cannot stop my pen from running away with me. I must return to that woman of consequence, the grey nun, for it would seem that yesterday she was indeed at home to callers, or so Lucy believes. There was a